have another thing in heaven. So welcome all. I'm so glad to be here with all of you. Uh, my name is Martha Guth. I am one of the co-directors for Sparks and Wiry Cries, which is the commissioning organization for the this uh, musical project um, of Ramadan 20 versus COVID-19. With me is soprano Latoya Lane. She serves on the faculty um, of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And aside from gracing the Metropolitan Opera stage, she has presented solo recitals in Nairobi at the American Church in Paris, the Dutch Reformed Church in Harare, Zimbabwe, um, and the International Congress of Voice Teachers in Stockholm, Sweden. Um, with me also is acclaimed poet Jessica Care Moore. She is the founder and CEO of More Black Press, executive producer of Black Women Rock, the founder of the literacy-driven Jess Care Moore Foundation, an internationally renowned poet, playwright, performance artist, and producer. Um, we also have Canadian composer Andrew Staniland, who is on faculty at Memorial University in St. John's, Newfoundland. He is um, one of Canada's most highly decorated composers. He's been nominated for three times for a Juno Award, won many, most, I'm going to say, uh, of Canada's uh, most prestigious national awards, and his music has been performed all over the world. And then finally, pianist Erica Switzer is the other half of Sparks as co-director. She has performed in many of the major concert halls of the world, and that includes Carnegie's Weill Hall, Geffen Hall, the Kennedy Center, Philadelphia Chamber Music Society, the Spoleto Festival, the list goes on and on. She also teaches at Bard College and Conservatory in the beautiful Hudson Valley. Hi, all. Hello. Hello. So I thought um, we would start things off by starting with the text because that is, that's where these projects begin. Um, Jessica, I, I am just really curious um, what this process was like because I'm assuming that this piece was written right almost at the beginning of lockdown and then it was also right after or maybe even during um, the murder execution of George Floyd. It's weird because yes. 2020 is such yeah. a blur. Um, it's all like it's all like mushed together. But um, I wrote the piece on the first day of Ramadan, and that's why I named it Ramadan 20 versus COVID 19. And actually, hadn't written, you know, I, like every other artist, most of who tours, my all my gigs got canceled, and so I was, and I was kind of in a shock. And then friends started passing away, and so I just wasn't writing. I was just kind of going through pandemic and figuring out this life change that was happening to all of us um, around the globe and figuring out how, what that meant for me and my home and my family. And it wasn't until Ramadan, I think it just had like, I fasted, you know, and uh, just kind of was real meditative. And I was like, let me write this piece. Um, and three of my girlfriends were pregnant and, at the time who are mentioned um, in the poem, uh, who all have babies now. <laughs> I just talked to Mahogany Jones. She, she was one of the, the women I was speaking to. And so I think, uh, yeah, I was writing it, just trying to find some peace um, and I don't know if I have yet, you know, I mean, this, this piece that, what, what, and I thought like, you told me just to send something. And when I, I knew that this would be the piece, you know, I was like, this would be amazing as a liberal, this would be amazing. This story would be amazing some, because it's a piece about resilience and people surviving something we've never experienced in our lives. Definitely not in this country. Other people have and historically maybe gone through pandemics, but 
in our lifetime, none of us here have experienced anything like this. And so, and so, yeah, it was a very spiritual piece and a quiet piece in comparison to a lot of my other writing. And um, I thought that it would be a, a great piece to give to to Andrew to to compose something. And um, but I didn't expect <laughs> what Latoya did with it. It's pretty extraordinary. And so. Um, yeah, it it I don't the you know the process for writing for me is is you know I'm an artist I'm we're in solace a lot you know so it was pretty quiet in Detroit I don't know if George Floyd happened but because George Floyd is always happening and and Breonna Taylor is always happening my my book came out during the pandemic for Sandra Bland because Sandra Bland is always happening so like for me like the the racial pandemic is wasn't really a pandemic for me it's like a problem that's been this country's been dealing with uh, racism and uh, institutional racism and very upfront, loud racism for such a long time. And my work has been speaking to the problems of, of, of uh, black women and, and police custody and violence against black and brown bodies. Like that's been my work. Um, but this was very specific to this moment in time. Um, but I wanted the piece to be about finding some some peace in it um, and, some, and some groundedness in it. And so that was the inspiration for the piece. That's why I sent it because I thought this could be beautiful as a, as a story song, you know? Yeah. Andrew, what was your reaction when you received the poem? Well, it was perfect. That was my, that was my reaction. And, that, and that's been sort of emblem. <laughs> it's been em emblematic of the, the collaboration, uh, really, because sometimes there's back and forth in the development process where somebody sends a libretto or a text and maybe it goes through some, some, uh, development but this was uh very much like how about this and i looked at it and said yes and then i wrote it and then i sent it back to jessica and she said yes <laughs> and then we sent it and then we sent it to erica and latoya and they said yes and yeah it just kind of went forward wow which is which is pretty special no it was beautiful you know yeah no your composition is it's breathtaking and you know, I watched the 17 minutes several times and I cry every time I watch it. You know, it's really, and the way Erica's playing it, I'm playing the piano, it's just like, you know, everything. But that's what I mean, I feel like there's a spiritual energy that's connected to the piece from the text to the comp composition, to the playing of the piano, to Latoya's voice, that's just kind of connected and is just as it should be, yeah. Do you do 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 any of you consider um, this idea of timelessness in a piece when you're writing? Um, I feel like you know, Jessica, you you are really specific, and you know, you name friends, you name events and moments, and yet I really feel strongly that the piece is timeless, um, and many poems do that. But um, I'm I'm wondering if there is a a device or something that you think about when you write? I mean, it, there's a timeless, but it's also like a marker, like, you know, poets are the historians of the time. Like we are the town criers. Like we're the ones that are supposed to say what happened in 2020. And poets have been doing that. All of my friends that are poets, we have been on Instagram, Facebook lives. We've done a gazillion Zooms, um, really talking about the moment. And um, and so beyond just being time, timelessness, I mean, that's spirit world. But as far as like documenting a moment in time, I think that's what it was about. It's like capturing how people were feeling. I mean, we I'm, Detroit is the blackest city in the country. We lost 
countless people here. Countless. And I, I mean, I can't, if I told you the number of people I lost, it would just, we couldn't even zoom right. You know, it was just, I lost a lot of people. My friends, family members died. It was so up close that it's, it was almost, um, you know, stifling. And so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, yeah, for me, it's more like capturing a moment in time and, and trying and, and artists coming together to create sanctuary you know, trying to make some sense out of something that makes no sense right now. They're all stuck in our homes where all of us are used to being out in the world and touching people and energy. And um, and yeah, that's what it was for me. I mean, I hope it's timeless, you know, but I think, mean, yeah, and I'm mentioning people, yeah, like Mahogany and Randy, like people don't know who they are, but they're just, they're just to me, they just represented, there was a lot of women that had babies. Latoya has a little one, <laughs> right, too. Like I didn't, right, so I didn't and know I, that. You yeah, know what I mean? And so like lots of people, mothers still gave birth, right? Yeah. During the pandemic, I was like, you know, COVID, it's not gonna stop the baby, the babies are still coming. And and that was just, a, that, that line is really about that. Like so many women I know, I was like, y'all out here having these babies, okay, pandemic, you know? So that, and that was for me, like, you know, the idea of like life continuing, even though it's really been real hard for all of us, but, Latoya's babies are here and my friend Randy's baby and Mahogany's babies and they the babies are here so the world continues you know despite this thing we're dealing with God willing we we continue to but um the babies to me represented the hope you know that uh that's the timelessness right that we make more children and, and continue to populate I I have no interest in doing any more of that <laughs> but, but thank you Latoya for helping us out <laughs> It's so funny, we're only a few minutes in and I'm already on the verge of tears with this conversation. Um, because just the word hope, you know, uh, delivering babies during a pandemic is like this juxtaposition of the yin and yang kind of thing where um, only one person was allowed to be in the delivery room as opposed to, you know, only my husband could be there. My mom could not come and my doula couldn't be there. And, you know, so I was in this freak out first time mom moment of feeling alone. And my husband, he tries, but he's, you know, the husband. What can he do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, that sensation of feeling like um, hopelessness in a sense, because the world just literally shut down. And then here is this new life. And so when you talk about in the poem, um, mothers pushing out the next tomorrow, like that's what we, that's what we invest our energies into, you know, and I, even though you didn't say my name, I was mahogany in that moment. I was one of your friends in that moment, you know? Yeah. If I would have known, I would just don't Latoya in. Like I would have just said it. I should have said it. <laughs> Do another rewrite. But yeah, pushing it the new the next tomorrow, right? Because, mm -hmm. and what I mean, I've you know I'm a mom, so I that feeling alone in that in that space is hard because yeah. husbands are not enough. Yeah. My mother was there with me too, and I mm -hmm. had my son King because oh my, I had to. She had yeah, to be there, like, right? You need mama. <laughs> yeah, and we need mothers, you know, and like yeah, yeah. and like, I think it just but you going through that experience though, like to me, that's the balance. Mm -hmm. 
and the way that you sung the words. I mean, it's just, it's like, honestly, I don't have any, I don't have words. I'm a poet. I don't have words to describe like how I felt when I saw the piece for the first time. And I've shown it to so many people, you know, and I really think it deserves to be on some large screens um, being shown <laughs> to audiences. And that's a great way to, to also consider it um, being shared is that we do some film, huge film screening screenings of it. Um, well, we can talk about that off <laughs> outside the podcast, <laughs> but I think that it, I think especially in Detroit, where they're talking, we were one of the few cities that had memorials for people for who had you know that lost family members, and we have a place called Belle Isle Park in downtown, and so we had huge. Um, the city blew up huge, huge pictures of people's um, loved ones, and they got to drive through and take pictures and leave flowers, um, and so because cities like this who've been hit the way we've been hit really need healing. They really need to feel like there's an actual tomorrow. You know, I have a friend that, you know, lost her, I think, did I mention that in the poem? Lost her mother, her sister, and her aunt. Yeah. yeah, you do. And within like two weeks, you know, these are real people, you know, you can't make this stuff up. Like it's not, it's poetry, but it's real. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's real just life. the truth. Um, and yeah, and then shout out to Brian Day, the photographer for his beautiful photos. Yes. you. You mentioned the word sanctuary a little while ago, and I I have a feeling that this piece felt like that, even though everyone was learning it, creating it apart. And I just, I'm interested in hearing from all of you about what that process was like. I mean, it was, it was scary at first. It was really scary. I'd never done anything like that, and I didn't know. Um, how it would feel to be in the recording studio alone. I didn't know how it would feel to be guessing. Um, but at the end of the, you know, when, when it came down to it, I actually, it felt like preparing the sanctuary, you know, like I felt like I was building this space for something amazing to happen. And it was like an invitation I could make with my skills as a pianist and with Andrew's language as a composer and that I could somehow capture things that are honestly outside of my own experience, but that I am deeply invested in trying to understand. Um, and so it was really an honor to, to be in that exposed position. And you can see my, Very exposed, yeah. my cheeks are turning bright pink, just talking about how, how fragile it felt in the moment, but, but how, how real. And then the, through, you know, Latoya's incredible artistry for her to find a, a home and, and a flexibility within that structure that was already formed. Um, it was really incredible. We all live in uh, or have lived in wintry places. And I remember when I was teaching at uh, Central Michigan, Stevie Wonder was coming to Detroit. And so my good girlfriend and I, we were like, OK, we're going down to Detroit for this concert because everybody was talking about it. And so the day we were going to go, we had the worst snowstorm ever. And it lasted one day. It was just that day. But we started driving about 30 minutes into the drive, the snow was blinding and we had no idea where the road was underneath us. And that's how this recording felt. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's great. It felt like driving in a snowstorm and you're not sure where the road is. But the trust factor had to kick in 
And so you knew what to do in your own artistry, artistry. And I knew Erica knew what to do as, I mean, she's an amazing pianist and Andrew had already laid it down and Jessica is, is already in the, you know, on the paper. And all I needed to do was just trust the energy in the music and, and do my con contribution to it. So yeah, it's pretty, it's kind of, um, you know, um, what's the word? I don't want to say it gets you high at the end, but you know, it's that kind of sensation that you did that. And it's, yeah. Exhilarating. It's exhilarating. Yeah. When you go back and listen to the final product, like, wow, we did that. <laughs> so I wait, I want to ask you, Latoya, about the um, singing the Arabic part, because that like was a really amazing to me because that I did not expect. I was like, yo, she is singing. I, I struggled just getting it right in the studio saying it. I was like, she's mm -hmm. singing the Arabic because I thought that was so beautiful. I don't know whose idea that was, but for you to be singing it underneath when I was actually Andrew, doing the vocal yeah. at the end. I, I mean, I wrote it in there, but I mean, I just, you don't, you don't know the, the way it was used. You know what I mean? The way it was mm -hmm. put underneath when I'm doing the, when it, when it was the acapella piece comes on at the end. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I, I just think, um, I didn't know initially how to print where the stresses were in the syllables. And so I just listened to you reciting the poem. Yeah. And then I just, you know, tapped into my experiences with languages that I don't speak, but I sing in often. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Have you sung in Arabic before? Never. That's great. I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> but I teach diction, so. <laughs> so you can, get, you can do it, right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it was, it was, that was a really beautiful, <laughs> unexpected moment for me. I was like, wow, she's singing Thank that. It's just, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what words would be skipped over. You know what I mean? I kind of just mm -hmm. trusted whatever that you, you know, I gave you the text and I was like, okay, well, whatever they use, they use. You know, it could have been mm -hmm. just like a third of that long poem. I would have been like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> But yeah, y'all went all the way in um, from the beginning to the end. And and then Eric, so I, I have a question. I'm not a, a composer, so I don't know. So when you're standing up and plucking inside of the piano, is that in, did Andrew write that? Yeah. That's yeah. Um, yeah, it would be pretty unusual for me to just grab a mallet to just just start hitting a piano if it wasn't yeah. indicated in the yeah, score. That was the, well, I, what was the um, motivation? Look, I'm Martha. I have my own little, my only Barbara Walters questions. So yeah, your motivation for that. Yeah, for the mallet and. Well, I was looking for a sound that would, uh, that could find your, your piece. You know, like like the, uh, and sometimes that sound could be a chord or it could be a, a melodic fragment. But in this case, it had to be percussive, and it had to be, uh, ability to be distanced or close. Uh, so I started playing around with ideas like that, and I I couldn't get, <clears throat> I couldn't get away from this idea of hearing a a protest or hearing a message or a, or a drum beat or something but very very far away massive and 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 intense but but removed and something that you can move towards and that's where the the mallet came through and actually eric and i and i went back and forth a few times to find the right sound to get from the mallet to the keyboard to make that transition from uh, from distance to immediacy. That, that, that's what that is for me. Yeah. It was pretty. It, it felt so primal to have yeah. to enter the piece that way, and it you know it, it captures, like you said, something. There was something extremely violent about it, and mm. and also it could be a heartbeat, and also it could mm -hmm. be a kind of incantation. Um, so I found it a really powerful device to to really go deep right from the very first moment. Nice. 
creating the entire pandemic it was like one month of like okay everything is what is this <laughs> okay no money get gone and then I was like okay we'll get put my boots back on and, and let's get to work let's figure out what I can do with this time so I just finished my first screenplay just finished that and just you know have up shooting a video next week for a music artist that I'm featuring his videos so I'm helping co-direct the video like you know I'm just doing stuff I would never have time to do any of that never have time to write film scripts and and we would have never been able to do this, you know, I mean, this, everything, I mean, Marjorie, we were talking about this before pandemic, of course. So, you know, this wasn't because of pandemic, but the piece is what it is because the pandemic happened because <laughs> I wouldn't have written this piece. <laughs> I would have rather not have written it, <laughs> to be honest, but, um, but we made something beautiful, you know, out of it. We did. And, and, to, and to go back, Martha, to what you were saying about timeless and I think the, actual, the, the ultimate compliment that can be paid to any piece is that it's time full not timeless and uh i mean i can't help but think of uh martha and erica had come to st john's a few years ago and i did a concert which was half schumann i believe and and half of me and to hear hear erica and martha and tyler talk about schumann but from the the period eye so to speak of what was it like for this poet to have written like what 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 was their world and 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 I have to be honest. That was the first time I, that I ever accessed the magic of that song cycle, the uh, Dichterliebe, because I understood the time. And I know it speaks to us because it's because it's nice. But I felt it was like you know from this big to this big to understand where it came from, the specifics, like the names, uh, you know, the fact that Jessica in, in your piece that the names were your friends just totally changes that. Next time I read it I'm, or listen to it, I'm going to be, it'll be different again, you know, better, more, more relevant. Those are real, real, real people, you know. Um, and I mean, but I, I'm curious about like Latoya, like what, I'm I'm new to your work and your voice. I'm like a super fan girl now. And um, and I'm wondering like how many times um, as a, a black woman, opera singer, you're able to sing about something that's happening in a black community or happening to a, a body of people that you can relate to. And do you often get to do that? And have you done that? Um, not as often as I'd like. It's usually um, stuff that was written about, you know, two centuries ago. But the, the unfortunate thing is it's still happening. <laughs> so it becomes relevant. And even when it's not the exact situation, the emotion is still there. So I can tap into, you know, if singing about, I don't know, doing my spirituals recital, even though we aren't currently enslaved, there's <laughs> still lingering aftermath and side effects that, um, you know, we're still experiencing. So um, when I have an opportunity like this, that's why this, this piece for me was a healing process. Yes. Um, just not me not being a poet myself, uh, not always finding the words, you know, when something is just like just boiling 
And yes, <laughs> I wasn't creating because, you know, not only the pandemic and I did have some gigs that were canceled, but I was also um, with two brand new babies. So I was literally inside and I, I wasn't doing anything um, creatively other than, you know, giving being liquid, a mom. Yeah. <laughs> liquid gold. Liquid gold. <laughs> when were your babies born? May, May 9th. Wow. That's, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. My baby shower was March 14th and a lot of people started canceling their attendance because that's when everything was starting to happen. Wow. So, you know, it ended up being a small group of people, but we didn't realize then that it would turn into, you know, what it had become. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just the emotion of what's happening right now and finding it in pieces of the past, that's primarily my experience. And so okay. this this piece just really resonated because we're living it we're right living now. It right yeah. now. Yeah, it's a living, breathing piece. Yeah. 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 And I'm so curious myself about what I would, I cannot wait until an audience can see it. Yeah. Like I would love to know, like, you know, like I know my experience, like my reaction to it, I'm so close to it. So I'm all emotional about it, but I would love to see what it does to an audience, you know, cause yeah. how it can take, what, what it will do. I can't, I can't wait for that. You know, cause, cause then we get to experience it again and watch other people, you know, um, have their moment with it and just mm -hmm. then it doesn't belong to us anymore you know the way it's not supposed to we get to give it back to everybody and then yeah Andrew did did your experience with it change at all uh, I mean obviously you have something in your head you write it down and then you sort of get all of these pieces over the <laughs> over the airwaves and then you had to you put the audio together yourself did your experience of it change yeah, moving from composer to audio producer is is a shift, and you and you have to you have to. Uh, it goes back actually to Latoya's story of the road and the snowstorm. You you have to just assume that the road is safe and under you, and you're no longer questioning it. It's there and it's right, and then you can get on with the business of the next layer of editing. <laughs> but what what it really did uh, teach me though uh, was what somebody like what, what a collaborative pianist does what 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 erica does and and what singers do with collaborative pianists because um i'm a guitarist and my sound is like it's a plectrum it's like boom and there's a there's an event and then it decays and pianists are the same way it's there's an event and it decays but text is not that way and i knew that but when i began to edit i really understood the minutiae of 
where beats are and where they aren't. And it was really interesting uh, experience to realize that the idea of togetherness and ensemble is actually a very broad zone <laughs> to, to, to be able to land something. And, and it, I really have a new appreciation for, for song because of that. The, the one real record I have out in 2015 was produced by a pianist. And so for years I've been searching for a balance of sound with my voice and with music. And it wasn't until I got with this really young, beautiful pianist. He actually does a lot of techno, but he's a uh, John Dixon. It's a really amazing uh, young piano player out of Detroit. And we just literally sat together and he listened to the sound of my voice and wrote all the chords around the words. And I found that that's been um, so piano. And then I've worked with Mark Carey um, out of New York City. He's played with Abby Lincoln for many years, was one of my pianists. And so I have like this thing with piano play, like it's been a really good experience for me because trying to figure out like, and I, you know, guitar and I like, I love horns too, but starting with piano and voice um, to me is a really powerful place to start in general, whether you're doing classical composition or you're playing jazz or soul or whatever. Um, because because I don't know pianists, I think just because they can find the beat and they can find the story and help accent it and make it as beautiful as you did make this piece. So, but thank you so much. Like all of you, like I'm really so thankful for everybody's contribution to it. It was really overwhelming for me. I was a little nervous about, um, you know, and Martha can attest to this, the relationship that the singer builds with the pianist. I mean, it's often why, you know, a lot of singers marry their pianists because you spend so much intimate time together and they know when you're breathing and you know when they're breathing and you know their phrasing and their nuance and their musicality and they know yours. They know when you're running out of breath to speed it up a little bit and they know when you're feeling real good in your voice and they slow it down and let, you know, like all of that stuff. And so we literally, it would be one thing to do that with, you know, a longtime pianist friend it's a whole nother thing to do it with a pianist you've never met, never rehearsed with, never, you know, that whole process was gone. And so I was really nervous about that, but Erica, she's so dang musical. It's like, I could feel her phrasing and breathing and everything that I need from, from my collaborative pianist in the recording. And so it was almost even better because it was inside my ear. Like I had the earbuds down deep in there and it was almost like innate at that point, not just some distant, you know, experience. So yeah, it just, it was a going in scary and coming out like, wow, that, that was so rewarding. Yeah. yeah. It was also Eric. humbling, right? Because I, there's sometimes I, you know, I, I feel like if I have a superpower, it's anticipating a singer's needs mm -hmm. and, um, and then I realized that was going to be of no particular use in this circumstance. Mm -hmm. So I had to relinquish my superpower and just trust that the music was enough, that the music was there. I didn't need to mess with it, that I didn't, that you were going to be just fine. You didn't <laughs> need me to catch you. Um, and see, that's what I'm so used to. I'm like, oh, they'll catch me. <laughs> and and you see, you didn't need that. I mean, it's just, it's such a lesson in, mm -hmm. in, it's, it's never about the individual. It's really always about the collective, even yes. if we're functioning with total independence, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a life lesson from this, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've got a question for you, Je uh, Jessica. When you wrote The Magnolia Tree, was that a specific 
like it's in my backyard okay because when i saw that i was like magnolia tree the billy holiday uh strange performance. fruit so, yeah strange fruit um which, which i which i had set only a, maybe a year or two ago for a, an amazing singer uh so when you said that i i i, I just sort of went to the to strange oh, yeah. fruit. You thought I was strange fruit. Yeah, magnolia yeah. trees are very, very prevalent down south, right? So uh -huh. that's been my favorite tree. Yeah, right? it's the Louisiana um, state flower, and we have one in our yard because I'm from New Orleans originally. Oh yeah. And so that's why there's so many lines in this poem that I, you know, I took so personally. And like mm -hmm. the magnolia tree still blossoms. I grew up with the magnolia tree in front of our door. You know, that's amazing. So, yeah. And you're talking about strange fruit and Millie Holiday, like you know, so everyone gets their different. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's literally, I mean, that's one. I've just bought this house, like. We a year of it has been in literally stuck in it. Um, the first year we were living like normal people and moving in, but um, the magnolia tree and because being outside in my yard, like those songbirds, like those are my birds. Like that's just me outside. It's like when it was like it's been harder pandemic during because we were you know it's cold for us now, so it's harder. Um, but in the summer during the pandemic, I literally slept on my patio. I would just sit, I mean, my, and the magnolia tree, as you know, they don't last long, but in Michigan, but when they blossom, they're gorgeous. And I just, and I, and I, my bird, the birds, I never heard the birds as loud as I could hear the birds. I was like, these birds are out of control. They're crazy. They're talking, they're singing, they're, the squirrels are doing backflips. I was, I just used to, I, I literally was outside with nature on my patio. So I'm so thankful for my patio because I have a yeah. fence and I'm like, I live right in the city, like right in the city. I'm not in the suburbs of Detroit. I live in the city of Detroit. But I have a fence and a patio and I just built the patio and I lived for that patio but that tree I was like look how strong this tree is you know I was thinking it made me feel like how fragile you know human existence is mm -hmm. I was like but just like the babies are going to come I was like that tree gonna still come and this summer there's going to be some magnolia the flowers are going to blossom and there goes the magnolia tree still mm -hmm. you know and then me just wondering like you know if we only could be as strong as trees you know the, as resilient as as they are and then maybe we'll survive this but that was that was the reference it was a really personal um a real personal piece one of the things i've noticed in this pandemic with practicing is that it has become this other um it's, it used to be because i needed to practice i had a deadline i had to meet the deadline it was like work it felt like work and now it's I find it so healing that because it, it, you know, we're out of control for so many things, you know, in this, in this, in this time, we can't, uh, we can't help the pandemic. We can't help the restrictions. We can't, we can't do anything. But if I sit down at the piano, something is always a little bit better than it was the day before. And, and there's something also about just using my hands to create something that slows my brain down in the right way, probably speeds it up in the right way. And on the other hand, too, you know, to just like to be in conversation with myself. It's so grounding. It's I it's I'm so appreciative. I, I hope that that experience sticks around after the pandemic when, you know, because I'm I guess my greatest fear right now is that we'll return to full speed again and lose some of the quiet that that we've discovered, like hearing the birds. That's hearing, but I don't think it's gonna go back to full speed. I don't. Most of the artists I know are speaking the way you speak. I've been like, I would like to find a way to creatively be more at home, travel for sure. But if I can create more collaboratively this way, I've recorded more 
in 2020, like been in the studio more than I have in my entire career. I have not been in the studio this many times. I recorded on Common's album. I recorded with Umar Ben Hassan, The Last Poets. I've just been in the studio recording. I mean, I'm like, okay, you know, I wrote something. I'm just going to go record it. I never did that. I have so much work I haven't recorded, but I'm too busy gigging <laughs> to take the time out to, you know, oh, I'll go record some, you know. And so I think what you're saying is really true and and being the solace of it. Yeah. I know it's going to go crazy, though, because as soon as things yeah. open up, artists are going to because people are hungry because we're the artists. And so it's a different perspective. I can't wait until we can hear this piece live in one room. Yeah. Was it was it musically satisfying for all of you? Was was it sort of like was the moment of recording satisfying the way it is for a performance or is that still yet to come? Still yet to come. <laughs> for me, anyway, I was alone doing the poem in the studio. You know, what the magic for me is what all of the other three did with it. You know, that was what made it magic for me because um, I was by myself. Uh, I know it will be a different experience. I mean, like me and Latoya on stage at the same time, it's just, I don't know. I got to dress, <laughs> I got to dress in some heels for that. I mean, you know, that's, I mean, uh, you know, that's, yeah. that's pretty remarkable, you know, the idea of that. We might need to add some more to this concert. Yeah, Andrew, get to writing. We need. To <laughs> I mean, a fuller piece would be really amazing yeah. too. To we be need honest, like three more cycles. <laughs> Why not? Why not make it a ninety-minute piece? Let's go. <laughs> For an hour. I love that. I love that. Yeah. You just got to get a grant. Right. To answer your question, Martha, I haven't, um, the, it's a different kind of satisfaction. Like once you, you know, you finished it. It's like, okay. And then when I heard, before we did the the premiere and I heard the links that, you know, Andrew sent to us, I was like, oh, wow, we're actually lined up. And then when <laughs> when it was premiered on YouTube, and I guess the energy of the people that were watching too kind of lends itself to, to that. Um, and then after it ended, and then seeing the image, that was my first time seeing the images too. And so I just kind of sat there in silence. And then I was like, whoa and I went back and watched it again yeah so but the the live performance you know I'm excited about that I will cry Latoya like will you sing all my poems <laughs> can you sing more yes. of my poems like we have to talk about more collaborations is guess what I'm absolutely. trying absolutely and I know absolutely. we've spoken about that because that absolutely has to happen and you know I was I'm a supporter of Detroit Opera House, so I see the things that they bring in and there needs to be more tangible things with stories that folks who don't go to the opera can actually relate to and bring them into the opera. And I think that this is one of those pieces that breaks some boundaries down of what opera looks like or who it's for. And I think that's the other thing that we've done that we haven't talked about, but that has absolutely happened. Yeah. Right. Um, th these are stories that, that need to be told and voices that need to be heard by audiences who don't get to see this kind of thing very often. What else to do with this time except tell somebody it happened? We were alive when the world stood still. Music never pauses. Mahogany, Ryan, and Randy are all pregnant during a pandemic. These Brazilian babies won't stop for outbreaks, wait for it to end. Life continues. Even when we decide it is over, when humanity is finally white flagged and all the oxygen from the Amazon is bottled and taxed like new shoes, the magnolia tree 
will still blossom the same time every year in the backyard. All those thick colossal roots laughing at our fragile bones. How we climb, how we dream to be as bold as you. How our arms shadow your branches. How we wish to be songbirds worthy of your protection. The playing field is not playing. Nature is calling. Science is searching. Spirit has this all figured out. And it's not from any of those books made from dead trees. Faith is not a word. It's knowing. Belief that there is something absolutely beyond this place. Something that will heal the wounds inflicted on a continent. Send me Allah Hamida. 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 Praying five times a day, praying five times a day may not be enough to purge the sins against the womb of the earth, against the hungry bellies of the chosen people. The unshackled reality of hope will not eat away the truth, balancing itself between dusk and dawn. Fasting may be the only way to clear out the noise, the sirens, the gunshots, the lies. No distance between faith anymore. Pick a book, any holy book. We all die in the same position, legs spread open, mothers pushing out the next tomorrow. It doesn't matter how we die or at what speed, fasting or slowly. It only matters what we are willing to die for. Let it be for the first problem. Let it be so the world is made anew. Let it be so the world is made anew. Let it be so the world is made anew. Let it be so the world is made Thank you for listening. My name is Andrew Staniland, composer. You have been listening to Erica Switzer, piano, Latoya Lane, soprano, words and spoken word by Jessica Karen Moore, moderated by Martha Guth. This podcast was made possible with funding from Scholarship in the Arts, provided by Memorial University of Newfoundland. You can hear our collaborative piece, Ramadan 20 versus COVID-19, on YouTube. <laughs> okay, I think that's good. 